I'm very excited about the future and the competitive advantage that we are going to have, not only as a country or as the, an American farmer, but just as someone that's able to contribute to the real global needs that are going to exist. Welcome to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Wade Foster, an environmental and natural resource attorney and a member of the Stoll Reeves Agribusiness, Food, Beverage, and Timber Industry Group. This season, we're interviewing respected industry leaders and discussing how they and their companies are embracing innovation and capitalizing on new opportunities to move their industries forward in an ever-changing world. Subscribe at Stoll.com. That's S-T-O-E-L dot com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Greeting listeners, welcome to this episode of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Wade Foster. My guest today is Sky Root, the founder of Root Agricultural Advisory, where he manages farmland portfolios throughout the Western U.S. In addition to real estate and finance, Sky and his team provide farm management and sustainability services. Sky is a native of Eastern Oregon and currently resides in Boise, Idaho with his wife, and Root Agricultural Advisory co-founder, Becca, and their four children. In this episode, Sky and I will discuss his experience starting his business and some of the challenges and trends influencing agriculture. Sky, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, thanks, Wade. It's good to be with you. I appreciate uh, the invite. It's great to have you with us. I know our listeners are looking forward to hearing from you. We both grew up in Eastern Oregon. You grew up on your family's organic alfalfa and cow-calf operation outside of Burns, Oregon. When you grow up in Eastern Oregon on a farm or ranch, sometimes, as we both know, it can be difficult to leave Eastern Oregon. So to start us off, I'm curious what prompted you to move away from the family operation and how you found your way into finance and real estate. Uh, I, I love this question. It uh, There's probably a short, medium, and long versions to answer it, but uh, the short version is that I was raised by amazing parents, uh, you know, farmers and ranchers to their core. And uh, I'm the oldest of seven children. Uh, I have six younger sisters. And uh, and I think uh, when, when I was 18 years old, I just couldn't wait to get out of town. And then I've wrestled uh, for the last 20 plus years since leaving uh, about how do I get back? But yes, it, it, it's hard to do much in uh, where we grew up unless you uh, want to work for a few select opportunities. And, and I didn't want to work for my dad as much as I love him. So uh, that, that's mostly what got me out. <laughs> fair, fair. I uh, understand that very well. So what have been some of the challenges of launching your own business in the farm finance and management space? There's a lot of risk in, in terms of you know, starting your own business. I'm sure your listeners, depending on who they are, you know, certainly understand that kind of stuff. And I would say one of the one of the fundamental comments that I would make about you know starting my own business and in the world that I work in is we live in a, an ever changing regulatory environment that uh, that is often hard to navigate. And so when you're involved in in a lot of the nuances of agriculture, like I am, and and you know we can get into some of that you know, the specificities of that, but uh, it's hard to manage the the labor issues or the, you know, environmental issues, water issues, export, trade, uh, those types of things. There's just a, a litany of, of challenges that seem to be never ending. But with those, with those challenges, there's certainly plenty of opportunities that uh, you can capitalize on. And, and, uh, and clearly we've been able to find success, you know, in the midst of uncertainty and many do, but, but it's certainly not without risk and without some heartache and, some blood, sweat, and tears. But yeah, that's that's probably the the best answer. 
Are there particular regulatory areas that you didn't anticipate when you got started that have come as a surprise? You know, having grown up on a farm in production ag, driving tractors and feeding cows, dealing with you know regulatory issues at the fa- at the dinner table, frankly, uh, you know, hearing from my dad and, and mom and the other family members that were uh, certainly involved in in the business, and just kind of internalizing those things and and watching the ups and downs of commodity prices and and issues there and uh, and weather events and. And the risks associated with that, and you know, all just all those things, it um, I think it ingrained in me a uh, I maybe mean, I guess a, an appreciation for the risk profile of what it means to be in production agriculture. So then, as I you know evolved through my career of you know that involved you know degrees and economics and water law and finance uh, and and some time working as a water rights consultant and then and then onto a, a pension fund where I spent time acquiring farmland properties and ag, ag private equity and some other other things. As I evolved through my career over the last 15 years, it's um, I'd say that the skills that I've gained and the experience that I've gained along the way, uh, while very important to my success and to my business's success and, and my, I guess, even willingness and ability to, to start my own business, all of that pales in comparison to the ag DNA that I have. And it's just, it's hard to explain. Uh, it's not a prideful thing, but it's just when I'm out there on a farm or, you know, in a tough situation, uh, you know, regulatory wise or whatever, it, uh, because of how I grew up, all the kitchen table conversations, all the, all the, the hours, you know, windshield hours and a tractor that has helped me to be able to, I think, address some of the uncertainty that that uh, that I've dealt with in in, uh, in my career. So now to your specific question about you know regulatory risks uh, that I didn't anticipate. So I, if I rewind the clock 15 years and you know look at that steady state and then and then come to today where we sit today, I think that uh, some of the most shocking or uh, been toughest to navigate regulatory issues have been labor. And navigating the the various nuances that have come up in the labor industry, uh, particularly in permanent crops and dealing with apples and cherries. But then also, uh, you know, I, I didn't think 15 years ago that we'd be regulated on air emissions, for example. Or, you know, I, I always knew. I, mean, I grew up in a desert, so you know, water water issues and water regulatory pressure is not anything new to me, and uh, so that doesn't surprise me. But it's become more pronounced in the last 15 years. Uh, as uh, we've been in a pretty rough drought cycle in most of the Western U.S., but anyways, I'd say those are some of the bigger, you know, regulatory surprises, you know, and and then yeah, I I gotta be careful to not open up Pandora's box, but you know, tax policies, you know, certainly uh, export uh, with different, um, I guess, uh, political regimes <laughs> that might be in place over the last 15 years. Uh, how you handle, how you react as a producer and as, as somebody like me that represents producers in a lot of unique ways, how you react to those uh, kind of title changes are, uh, has been, it's, it's been harder than I expected. Uh, we'll put it that way. Well, and we could probably have a podcast on each of the topics you just walked through um, and spend more than 15 minutes on any one of those topics, but we should probably keep ourselves moving forward, I guess. Let's jump back and talk a little bit more about Root Agricultural Advisory. Let's talk about your business. So you've got three primary areas, real estate, farm management, sustainability. 
Can you just give us a little bit of overview of Root Agricultural Advisory and then tell us how you came to focus on those three areas and how they fit together? Absolutely. Yeah. So my soundbite for people is that, uh, you know, based on, again, my experience that I've described already and uh, and just general interest level and, and people that I've associated myself with, I felt competent in my ability to succeed in the farmland, agricultural, real estate game you know, property management, farm management associated with uh, with farms, particularly larger farms, and then doing sustainability consulting and, and other types of consulting. And so when we stood the firm up uh, almost five years ago, that became our focus. And so we have, you know, all types of clientele uh, in terms of, uh, we focus pretty exclusively with a, with a select uh, institutional investor that uh, we help them source deals on the real estate side. Uh, but on the sales side, I've done everything from distress, bankruptcy deals to, uh, you know, grandma uh, passing away and the kids wanting to sell the farm, uh, you know, and, and dealing with both very small and very large operators uh, throughout the Western U.S. And, and that's the part that I enjoy and really love doing. And so, you know, at, from that core knowledge, I guess, of real estate, real estate valuation and, and fundamental, I guess, principles regarding farmland real estate, that has led us to be able to be successful in the farm management and sustainability consulting side where we, you know, help people manage their farm assets uh, around the West. And, uh, you know, no different than a financial advisor would manage assets or a commercial property manager, which man would manage assets for a, you know, a high net worth family or just a farming family or an institutional investor. And so we, uh, we get, you know, pretty involved in the day-to-day -day work there because that's our expertise and we understand how to navigate it and deal with vendors and, and negotiate leases and deal with the regulatory stuff that we've you know we've been talking about. So, and then you know in the last ten years, I would say this you know, the whole sustainability uh, movement has become much more pronounced. And I, because of my upbringing, because of uh, you know one of the things I guess I didn't underscore much is that you know my dad is a large organic alfalfa grower uh, and has been doing that long before I would say that's was mainstream. And so I, I have the advantage of having all of my, you know, upbringing years, which, you know, is 30 years ago now being, being tied to organic production. And so that I, I, in some ways that put me at almost a DNA level at the, uh, you know, at the cutting edge of interest, if you will, on the sustainability ideas and movements. And so I, I, I like to consider the fact, you know, for what it's worth, I, I think that I, I want to be at the, at the cutting edge of, of large scale agribusiness sustainability. And so we've done that, you know, in, in a variety of ways and, and uh, not some more known than others, but, uh, but either way, it's uh, something that we focus on and enjoy doing as a team. So, so let's just talk about sustainability since we're on the, on the conversation. Sustainability can be a fairly loaded word, especially in the ag space when you're talking to growers. How, how would you define sustainability and what are you focusing on for your clients with regard to sustainability? Yeah. So let, let's pretend I'm talking to my dad right now who, uh, you know, is a, a large producer, you know, growing, growing crops, uh, livestock and farming. The, the language that I would use with my dad is, you know, it's not the, uh, the, the definitional ESG, you know, out of the textbook uh, talking about, you know, some of the special interest groups. Those types of folks, uh, you know, that that wouldn't be where I'd start with him. Where I'd start with my dad is, uh, although it's the same story, right? It's it's the same. At the end of the day, it's really the same concept. But it's you know, hey, dad, what do we need to do, uh, or what can we do differently than we're doing today 
to make sure that this resource is around for my grandkids, you know, and that's, that's the right approach with, with, you know, the farmers uh, that I'm familiar with, at least in the West, because you know what, they really don't want to just mine, no offense to, to the word mine, but that, you know, they don't want to just mine the resource, whether it's water, soil, you know, or um, livestock specifically right into the ground. And, uh, and and do a poor job of managing it. I mean, my dad's done a great job of managing it, but he could make incremental improvements and does make incremental improvements. And I think it's just, it starts from a conversation that it's a, you know much less uh, of an indictment and much more of a, what can we do to come up with win-win strategies to help you keep making money? And in some cases, make more money uh, and and do a better job to steward the resources that you're responsible for, you know, the natural resources that, that he's responsible for, or that any given producer is. And that's where we start. And that's frankly where we find success. So let's, let's drill down on that a little bit more. And I know, you know, you're managing a diverse portfolio for farm management and the different crops have different requirements. If you've got livestock involved, it gets even more complicated, but on a field level, what, what are some examples of sustainability measures you'd put into the field, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question. So it um, you know, one of the high-level ones that is becoming much more mainstream than it used to is figuring out how to responsibly manage the soil in a way that's not only affordable to the farmer, but also um, beneficial to the environment and to the overall ecosystem. So, you know, using less of the synthetic fertilizer or chemicals to deal with, you know, pests and, you know, weeds and all those types of things. And, uh, you know, actually stimulating microbial action in the soil itself through a variety of different biological products or till tillage practices or water, you know, application practices, all of those types of things to actually improve the, the situation. So what does it look like in practice? Put new sprinkler packages on the on the, the irrigation systems. You know, spend the money. Uh, you'll use twenty five percent less water. Put the you know variable frequency drive pumps on your. It, 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 the, the irony is that it all costs money, but the the cost benefit in most cases is such that it the money's worth it to be spent because you're going to make your money back in some cases almost immediately, and in others within just a few years, where you're going to use less power, you're going to use less water, you're going to get the same yields. In some cases, you could potentially get better yields by utilizing you know, more uh, you know, proactive practices and, and getting away from the mindset, Wade, of this is how dad did it because that's how his dad did it because that's how his dad did it, and getting much more to a, how should we do it? And actually asking the right question and uh, you know, and how can we make this more efficient? And so, and then the other comment that I would make is, you know, how do we integrate ag tech into this? And uh, you know, been involved uh, another have another I have another business that's involved in you know ag investment banking, and we do some capital raising for some ag tech firms. And there is so many unique you know soil probe monitors and and irrigation system technologies and and uh, you know autonomous tractors and you know, uh, various commodity pickers to, you know, I won't be surprised in 10 years from now, if we get to a point where we have apples that are uh, picked, you know, they, they can be picked by a machine. And, uh, and so, so utilizing some of that ag tech and, and actually compiling the data and analyzing that data 
to show that you're being more uh, sustainable and that you're using less water and you're improving the soils and you're, you're, you know, coming out with higher nutrient products from your farm. All of those things I think are enabled by an open mind and the technology that continues to be innovated and developed uh, today. So I, I don't want to open a whole different can of worms, but let's jump around and talk a little bit about ag data and data management. Since we kind of leaned into that part of the conversation, you know, there's a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of technology, uh, precision agriculture is advancing rapidly. And there's this question out there of what, who, who owns the data, who manages the data, do the farmers have the data? How, how are you seeing that conversation play out in your business? Now it's it's uh, front and center in terms of conversation. Um, you know, I'll I'll show my cards uh, in my opinion that uh, I think that the farmer needs to own that data because that data is going to have value in the future. And by the way, not only just the farmer but also the food processor. You know, wherever you are in the supply chain and whatever value add you're doing to the you know agricultural commodity or piece of food or whatever that is that we're talking about you need to own that data that's relevant to the value add that you're contributing because i, I really do believe that in, in the um, you know as we evolve forward you know you're going to win if you're the one that owned the data uh in in the uh, overall conversation whether it's a regulatory conversation whether it's an economic conversation in terms of value uh i think either way you want to control that data but then the uh the, the catch 22 of that though is that uh you know, the average age of the American farmer, I, I think I've, I've showed my cards enough in terms of the respect level that I have for the American farmer. Uh, I, you know, I am one, I was raised by one, but I hate to break it to you. They are not good at data management <laughs> and, and I'm okay with any of them knowing that uh, there's a few corporate farmers out there that I've, I've come across in my years of work that, uh, that frankly impressed me basically everybody else doesn't really impress me when it comes to their ability to manage data at this type of scale. And so I think there's opportunities for firms, not only like myself, but other consulting firms and other folks to be intermediaries in this process. So maybe they don't own the data, but they can help collect it, compile it, analyze it, recommend based on it. And so I, I think I do see an ecosystem of that uh, happening, but, you know, getting to a spot where some, you know, private equity firm or, or, big CPG company or just a big tech firm owns all the data, uh, that's scary to me. I don't think that's the right, the right approach. I'm, I'm actually going to jump around a little bit more and take us back to where I thought we were going to start because I we could talk ag data and precision ag and all of that for a long time. But let's, let's talk about the real estate side of your business for a minute. Uh, obviously, you work with sophisticated clients. You help less sophisticated clients. Do you have some key principles when you're talking to clients about real estate or buying or selling or the financial decisions related to that, that you use to guide the decision-making process? We do. Yeah. So it's uh, at a high level, we have something that's called the due diligence checklist that uh, that really outlines all the things that we think are, are most fundamental in purchasing or selling or leasing uh, any sort of farmland asset or ranch land or or we don't work much in timber but uh, but you know it would apply to any of the above and it's interesting because you know I have the farming upbringing but I have a pretty heavy finance background you know Wall Street related finance background and so when you look at you know the stock market and analyzing stocks from a technical analysis standpoint or a fundamental analysis standpoint it's no different in farmland 
And so we're, you know, just the fundamental principles of farmland investing would be what are the soils? What's the water? What's the yield? What's the, uh, you know, production capacity, you know, heat units, climate, uh, all of those types of things are the the things that you're going to fundamentally analyze. And then you're going to get to the business side of, you know, who, who are the growers in this area? Who are the processors in this area? What do the economics look like in terms of my ability to generate revenue off of this, you know, farmland? And what are the, and then overlaying the risks of, you know, fundamentally weather risk. And then all some of those other things I just mentioned, soil risk, water risk, uh, you know, all of those types of things. So that's the type of analysis that we do uh, that uh, is probably a bit more analytical than, uh, than, you know, like an average, because of my background and experience and, and who the clients that I specifically deal with, we probably do that in a bit more of an analytical way than just your kind of run of the mill real estate broker that might be out there, uh, you know, working in, in the, in the real estate space. But, you know, again, it, it, it's just because that's who we are and that's how we approach these conversations from a bit broader and larger scale, uh, perspective. Great. So it's thinking about real estate and thinking about the markets. It's been a fairly wild couple of years in the in the markets lately, or I guess the last couple of years. What effects are the markets and um, interest rates having on your clients' decision making right now? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, we could we could spend a lot of time on this, but uh, but as a general comment, with interest rates going up, at, you know, farmland asset values are actually still propped up pretty high. Uh, we're not really seeing much of a drop yet, uh, and and may not, frankly. Um, we've seen big cap rate compression uh, in in the farmland space, but it, where, where where I see them negatively affecting things are commodity prices have been phenomenal for about a year now in just about every single commodity that you can think of. Uh, but if we, you know, because of some geopolitical issues and and other things that that drive them to be such. But one blip in in commodity prices uh, with rates where they are now, when you think about things like operating lines, it's going to be a, a disaster to, to kind of deal through that. Um, but what what rising interest rates are doing fundamentally uh, is there's not a lot of transactions. And so you have people that are not selling because they're very skittish about, uh, you know, what's this all going to do? What's going to happen? People don't want to borrow money at, at 6%. When we've had you know basically 15 years of free money, uh, you know, with with rates being so low, and so anyways, it, it, that dynamic is uh, is changing the volume of transactions more than anything else that I see so far. Are there certain types of investors that are still in the market, or is it really frozen across the board, or not frozen but slowed down across the board? Well. There are definitely people still in the market. Uh, there's hundreds of institutional investors that have whatever sort of retirement money or whatever funds they've gathered to invest in farmland, hundreds of them. And so that uh, that hasn't dried up. And so they're still pretty motivated. And then the, the local buyers are kind of what I call the private local market. It depends on who you are. So if you didn't have an operating line and you were operating on your own money, uh, the last 18 months, you've made a lot of money. <laughs> and so um, you, you may be aggressive as a, as a buyer because there's some tax advantages potentially for you to go overpay for a piece of farmland other than if, you know your choices are overpay for a piece of farmland or pay an incredible amount in taxes. 
most farmers I know, I know what choice they'll make. They're going to overpay right. for the farmland. So, right. so we're still seeing some of that, that, uh, that's happening on, on the real estate side, you mentioned, you know, commodity prices. Are there other factors that are influenced, influencing, are there other factors that are influencing decision-making right now? Well, you know, some of the things we've already hit, uh, there's, there's various pockets of the West, you know, again, my sandbox that are, uh, have some pretty big regulatory uncertainty. What's the Colorado River going to do? What's the, uh, you know, are they going to be breaching dams on the Snake River? You know, which I sure hope not. Those types of conversations have people skittish and, and thinking about, okay, what's going to happen here? And, and then roll it all the way back to Mother Nature herself and weather that, you know, some of the droughts that have happened and like, gosh, should we really be buying farmland in this area? Like it's, you know, it's 100 year average rainfall is 10, but for the last 15, it's been getting three inches of rain. And so, you know, is it a bad time to be buying in these areas? So I think some of those exogenous variables are hitting the uh, the decision-making process right now, far beyond just what the market's doing and what interest rates are. It's hard to grow much with three inches of rain a year if you don't have good irrigation water. That's right. Yeah. And you got it. Um, so let's, let's jump back to the farm management side of your business. Uh, there's a lot of factors and different cropping decisions that influence management. Some are more important than others. Do you have any key factors that you're looking to when you're making management decisions? Obviously, bottom line is important, what you can grow. Anything else? Yeah, my answer to this question would be, it depends uh, on what specific commodity we're talking about. I and mean, there are general principles that I think apply that we've already touched on. But if I'm talking about an app, organic apple orchard in, in Wenatchee, Washington, that's a very different conversation than a lettuce farm in Imperial Valley of California in terms of the you know farm management decision drivers. They're just entirely different uh, in terms of the needs and the issues and and what have you. So I think the uh, maybe the the fundamental principle is that you need to know your area and uh, you need to know your farm specifically and and what it needs in terms of uh, you know optimizing its its output and uh, not only present output but also future uh, and looking into the future. And when I think about something like an apple orchard in Wenatchee that's getting water out of the Columbia River uh, as one of the first you know, grabs out of the Columbia River in the U.S. You know, as it crosses the Canadian border, water is not a problem, like not even remotely a problem. So, but uh, but labor is uh, because virtually 100% of the labor force that's on that orchard is coming from H-2A labor, utilizing H-2A government program and bringing in, you know, the visas and bringing people in uh, from, you know, several Latin American countries, generally speaking. And so that, uh, you know, that, that we spend more airtime, a lot more airtime in, in an orchard and, you know, organic orchard in, in uh, Wenatchee talking about, you know, those types of issues than we do uh, anything related to water or soils or, you know, no-till or strip-till or any of those types of things. So I hopefully that gives this question justice, but that's, that's how I think about it. No, that's great. We, we talked about ag tech. Generally, precision ag, advances in ag. One question I didn't ask, but I'd be curious about, you talked about maybe apples being picked mechanically in the next 10 years. Are there other things on the horizon you're seeing coming that are exciting or interesting? 
Oh yeah. No, I, I, I yes, I, I'm an ag tech junkie <laughs> in some ways. So uh, I think there's a lot of very, you know, pretty interesting things that are out there. It's just which one's going to be able to scale, right? So these, uh, um, and I'll tell you one of the one of the biggest ones that is um, to our earlier conversation about data is there is a there's myriad companies out there right now that are talking about uh, or that are attempting to consolidate ag data from you know its myriad sources that you can grab, and that to me is one that I am watching with great focus to see who's going to rise to the top uh, in in collecting the. The kind of data uh, that are is the most meaningful to uh, someone like me. So, because right now you got to go to about eight different places to get it, and some of them are not that good. Are you seeing the data improve across the farming landscape, or is it still semi-isolated pockets? It seems like there's more and more uptake by the farming community of these different technologies. Yep, it's improving. It's still got a long ways to go, but it's improving because. I, I think that these different entrepreneurs that have, you know, that have uh, risen these companies up uh, in, in, this, in the space we're in now have done a really good job of educating. And, uh, and, and I spent a lot of my time educating different growers and investors and folks uh, about various forms of technology. So it, uh, yeah, that, that's, and I'm excited about that. And I think that's good. So, and, and by the way, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I think we're going to get, there's always going to be a need for, uh, for decision makers, right? I mean, this, we're not like automating the, uh, the agricultural industry, but the idea of, you know, a tractor being able to self-drive on low emissions with, you know, you know, some sort of uh, unique fuel source. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be electrical powered, but, uh, but, you know, whatever that might be, hydrogen or something, you know, like all of those things, those, those, are, those are exciting to me. Like that's, um, you talk about a new frontier when we think about globally feeding the planet and, and just population growth on a global scale. And we think about the endowments that we have in the United States specifically with you know just our, the soils we do have and the water profile we do have and the climate we have like all of those things when you roll it up with some really innovative ag tech i'm very excited about the future and and you know, the competitive advantage that we are going to have not only as a country or as the, an, an american farmer but just you know as, as someone that's able to contribute to the real global needs that are going to exist you know frankly already do exist but that will continue to exist even more pronounced so this is an oddball question, but just this conversation sparked in my memory. I judged FFA, Oregon Future Farmers of America, public speaking last year, and there were several speakers who talked about greenhouses and the roles that urban even greenhouses play in the getting food to inner city folks. And I know this isn't necessarily your space, but have you explored that at all or thought about it? Oh, an incredible amount. So, uh, in fact, on the investment banking side of of you know, the, uh, another company, I'm I'm actually transacting a big greenhouse right now. So, you have very uh, you know interested in that space, and and the the soundbite that I would give on greenhouses are that they will play a very important role in feeding the world, but they can't produce the volume 
that's needed to feed the world. And so uh, I am not one of those like all or nothing personalities when it comes to these types of, you know, solving these types of issues. I think it's, they're probably far beyond my pay grade, if you want to know the honest truth, to try and solve world hunger. Uh, but uh, but I mean, in all seriousness, and I, I really am in the sandbox to probably have the eyes to see that, uh, that, that greenhouses will play, uh, they currently do play and will continue to play a really important role in a sustainable food supply chain. Uh, particularly as we look at climate change and, and how the world, you know, how the world changes uh, and uh, over time and areas that were really good to grow X, Y, or Z vegetable or fruit may not be in 20 years from now. And I think it, without greenhouses and the ability to conserve water and the ability to, you know, to, to manage some of those weather risks that exist, I think that uh, the food supply chain could be at risk when you think about it at scale. So I'm I am very supportive of uh, indoor ag and and what it can do for the overall overall system. Let's talk a little bit about the line of soil biological products you sell. Soil biology is important. It seems like biological products are relatively new in the marketplace. They're not necessarily always new technology, but they're new products in the marketplace. What are they? What's the attraction to them? No, you bet. At a fundamental level, you're trying to, the, the role of a soil biological product is just to stimulate microbial action in the soil. That's what, that's all you're trying to do. You're just trying to get the, the, uh, the, the ecosystem, the biology itself to actually be productive and not be hydroponically farming uh, where there's not, uh, you know, not much role for soil, if you will. And so in that, uh, in that process, there's so many ways you can do that. Yeah, you know, from literally from you know, this simple as just you know manure or something like that from from a livestock operation to taking various strains of proteins and enzymes and acids and and mixing those things together in a in an organic way or in a in a synthetic way either one you know preference my preference of being an organic way uh, and and really just uh, mixing that together to meet the needs that exist. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of what I would call snake oil salesmen out there in the, in, in the ecosystem. And, and that's okay. There always has been, and there probably always will be. Uh, but the ag, you know, the, the, I, I say the, the average farmer is much more willing to listen now than they were 10, 15 years ago, because it's been proven so many times, time and time again, how, how this really can add value, not only to the bottom line, but to the long-term, you know, quality of the asset. And so they listen. People listen a lot better than they used to. And it seems like they're you've got a more mature market for some of these products and you're starting to get the research to back them up or have have That's the right. research developed to back them up. And the other comment that I'd make too, uh, Wade, is that the um there's you know lot kind of live biological products, you know, people would call them bugs in a jug, if you will. And, you know, the stars kind of have to align for those to really be their most efficient. The weather's too cold, if the soil's too cold, if the, you know, it's raining or it's not raining or, you know, just about everything can go wrong uh, with a live product. I personally, um, you know, not only is it what I rep, but also what I'm, I'm a bit more passionate about is those that are more inorganic. So they're not live products. And, and so it's uh, not dependent on so many variables that a live product would be. Uh, and if all the stars align on a live product, it's going to do miracles in the field, but all the stars have to align. 
And I'm I'm more of the philosophy of let's do, let's have some marginal improvement. Let's unlock some of the nutrients that are tied up in the current soil. Let's open it up and let's not be so dependent on all the stars aligning uh, in terms of having a perfect product for a perfect scenario, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, I guess I'm a bit more of a, a, a generalist in the biological space than a specialist, because I, I think that general focus is going to you know make the asset better over the long run. Well, and that's another, again, there's, there's been about four pieces of this conversation I could spend several hours on, but I'm not going to for right now. Um, <laughs> and, and we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about a lot of different topics, but I'm curious, did we miss anything that our listeners might be interested in? Is there something out there that you're thinking about that we haven't talked about? You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think uh, when I think about everything that I do day to day, and how that overlays to the legal profession, uh, you know, other professions that in the world we live in, and, the, and then certainly to the down to the grower themselves. I think that you know, if I had an opinion, it would be that the more the more everybody strives to understand the other person's world, the better the the future looks for all of us. Uh, and and I think that I feel like my career has progressed. Uh, to a point where people are living in their own silos less and less. And I love that. Uh, it's it's a, a much more open-minded ecosystem than it was 15 years ago. And uh, so I think because of that, we're going to see, uh, we all have to eat. You know, the food system is fundamental to survival. And so uh, when I think about farmland, farmland investing, farm management, sustainability, all the things that I deal with every day of the week, uh, I'm just thankful that the ecosystem is continuing to evolve to a point where uh, we're all in this together and uh, and it doesn't need to be so um, contentious, special interest groups, you know, all those things still exist, but, uh, and it's, you know, frustrating at times, but you know, the bottom line is I, I'm, uh, I'm one that wants to get everybody at the table and, and think about what this thing's going to look like in 30 years from now, 50 years from now, and, and push in that direction uh, rather than just grind my own axe for, you know, for the decade that I get to and then move on. So with to play off of that, what's next for you and for your business? Well, we're growing. You know, I, I think we'll keep doing what we're doing. Uh, we won't lose our focus and our principles in terms of what, what got us to the dance, if you will. But I think for us, uh, we're... You know what's next for us is is maybe a bit uh, more of a pronounced focus on the whole value chain as opposed to just farmland, uh, because the, the more the more you really get into this uh, you know food space, the more you realize that the farmer is the one growing it, but so much of what they do is dictated by the end consumer. And those that are CPG companies that are making the food, you know, making the products that people buy down to the, you know, wholesalers and retailers and, you know, food processors. There's just so many people in that in that uh, overall supply chain that I see us, uh, you know, Root Ag Advisory getting a bit more involved on the sustainability consulting side on the uh, and even on the transaction side of up the value chain stuff in, in our world. So, uh, and that's exciting. It's a, uh, in some ways it's, you know, it'll be a learning curve, uh, but in other ways, uh, I, I think that we can actually bring a really valuable perspective to the conversation because we get it at the ground level, no pun intended. <laughs> well, Hey, Sky, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and for sharing your insight. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. 
Well, no, thanks, Wade. This is this is awesome, and uh, you guys do good work, and uh, yeah, we appreciate the appreciate the connection and opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit stoll.com. Please also take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and may not reflect the views of Stoll Reeves LLP. Participation in this podcast by any individual is not an endorsement of any view or opinion expressed. This is not legal advice and the podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship.